the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. So this person really does own sort of pushing and being the force behind like, hey, let's get these things accomplished. We said we wanted to get accomplished because that should not be the owner's job. The owner's job should be focused on some of the bigger moving pieces. And there needs to be someone sort of ground level who's willing to cross off that action item, right? And, and see that through. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Long time no see, my friend. For our listeners who don't know this, of course, yesterday you and I had lunch up here in St. Louis. We were hatching evil schemes, as my friend Dean Jackson would like to say, and we, uh, we, I think we're going to be taking Max Home Lawyer to the next level, don't you think? I do. I think uh, we're about to level things up quite a bit. It's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, well, I'm excited about our our guest today. She uh, was introduced to me by our good friend Joey Vitale, and um, she's had an interesting last couple months. And during that, she's launched Velocity Work, which is a um, sort of lawyer coaching and focusing and um, on-site retreat running group. Uh, her name is Melissa Shanahan. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped to be here. So, Melissa, uh, I think you work with Christopher Nic- Nicolason as well. Is that right? Yeah. That is right. All right. So, so Christopher and, and Joey both sing your praises quite a bit. So, talk about what you do and then how you got into it. Yeah, sure. Well, sort of at the core, what everybody, um, it seems like the most fun piece to focus on of velocity work is that there is this four quarter framework that I lead clients through that help, it basically allows them to take a step back and instead of working in their business, work on their business and helps us, uh, we basically create a space where they can create a really solid strategic plan for not just a year, we look at it a little bit further than that. But then uh, once we have a solid plan for the longer term vision, and then we have a plan for that year, uh, in terms of goals, then we just take a look at, okay, well, what needs to happen this quarter in order to be on track for that? And so every quarter we come back and revisit and sort of process the lessons from the previous quarter and figure out how to apply those to the next quarter, um, set goals for the next quarter so that we're on track. And 
um, adjust goals if need be, whether they need to be adjusted down or adjusted up if they, if they just knocked it out of the park. So, um, so that is, that's the piece that I think um, it seems like people get most excited about right up front, but the pieces that, and I, and I do think that's gold. I, I have that for my business. I think that's important. But the thing that I love the most about working with clients is that you can't just have these meetings. You can't just get in a room and not do any prep work and not ha like not have your house in order, so to speak, and be able to create a really solid plan. So there's a ton of groundwork that we have to do in working with the clients to, you know, pull metrics from their business and really, really understand their business and understand their history in terms of um, the different things that should be measured, the different um, things that should be tracked, right? And so I, our Velocity Work creates this really highly customized tracking portal for clients to be able to sort of put in this information. There's a bunch of calculations in the portal that help us focus on the things that are the most important metrics to focus on. Then we know, then we can get in the room and we know what levers to pull. We know what goals to shoot for. We know the weak spots. We know the, the strengths. And that, you know, that, that process of that groundwork is really empowering. It's a lot of hard work, but it's really empowering for an owner and for the business. And that's some of my favorite pieces is really just helping them become, I guess, a way to say it is to help them become who they need to be in order to have the success that they would prefer to have, right? So, um, and there's a bunch of accountability baked in and built in along the way too, which is, which is great. And I could talk more about the actual product, but I just thought it, you know, I feel like it's a missing piece is that it's not, you don't just get in a room and, and talk about what you want. Like it's way more involved than that. And, and which makes the journey really customized and, and really exciting for, for the the owner attorney. Well, so let's back up a minute. How did you get into this space? I know you have a lot of experience working yeah. with businesses. Talk to our listeners about why they should listen to you or what your what your experience has been. Sure. So I about eleven years ago, a little bit over that now, I decided to become a certified life coach. I didn't even know what that meant. I just knew that I. I mean, I've always been into self help, self development, and I was. Um, wanted to learn actual tools to be able to teach people. Um, so I did that, and that was awesome. It gave me this incredible foundation to be able to work with people and sort of get them from point A to point B, whatever that meant for them. Um, however, I I learned really quickly. <clears throat> I didn't want to just do general coaching. That wasn't the people that were finding me weren't weren't my peeps. It, it just wasn't the kind of work that was I was enjoying. And so. Uh, before that, I had a background in dental. And so I ended up about seven years ago, beginning to work for a consulting company that worked with medical professionals, like doctors and dentists who own their own practices, basically. So that was interesting because it allowed me to blend my two backgrounds in a way um, that I was pretty excited about. Um, and as I got in there, what I learned was inside of the firm that I was working for, there was a lot of influence from Gina Wickman, um, which is um, EOS, and then also Dan Sullivan, which is strategic coach. And so, you know, inevitably, 
I've got a lot of training that sort of trickled down from many different mentors, but those were two of them and had a lot of influence on how we ran things inside the company and allowed us to sort of help our clients get on track the way that they had taught us to get on track. So what was interesting is that I was learning, um, it was a really rigorous process to learn this, these skill, this skill set. And I was delivering this, these retreats. I mean, I was totally immersed in this. I was doing 10 to 14 of these a month and traveling all over for these. And, but what, you know, being so deep in the trenches, what we had put together for clients and what I was teaching was pretty awesome, but there were some missing, missing pieces. There were holes and I could, I could see them. Um, and I could, as I was working with the owners of small businesses, and I really wanted to make changes, but in an organization the size I was working in, that's really slow, and it, they weren't really receptive to the feedback. And I wanted to not only, yes, it was great that they had this awesome plan that they were going to carry out from quarter to quarter, but I wanted them to experience some of the, the you know, I wanted to experience, them to experience less of the unhealthy stress. I wanted to train them more on how to set up the solid systems and processes that, you know, we're telling them they need to put into place. I wanted them to be able to decrease their debt. I wanted them to have more confidence. Um, I wanted them to increase their capability to grow and run their own practice. It was all these things I felt like were missing between our meetings. And so eventually I went out, I, I sort of formed Velocity Work as a test uh, product test company but it wasn't even a company then about a year and a half ago and I had this hypothesis that small businesses generally speaking even if they had been trained in business that they knew that this is the kind of work that they needed to be doing for themselves they probably weren't doing it so I went out to see if that was true and lo and behold it was true um, and so I was kind of taking any small business that wanted to work with me, which was very eye-opening um, and very difficult to learn those businesses inside and out, each type of different business. Um, and eventually, I ended up working with um, Joey Vitale, and he was uh, the first attorney that I worked with. And everything clicked into place. Everything felt like, oh, this translates really well and this and this is uh sort of similar in that you know attorneys kind of like medical professionals go to school to learn how to do law and how to be a really great lawyer but then you get out in the real world and if you decide to go out on your own it is a whole different beast and and there isn't really training for that in school and so there is a lot of room for help and um to provide organization so that is sort of how it morphed into law. That was um, about 15 months ago that I met Joey, started working with him, and so then just niched down from there. And it's been it's been a really wonderful ride. I'll say that. Is that helpful? Well, so I kind of, oh, it, it, yeah. it's extremely helpful. I, I want to kind of get into the, the nuts and bolts of this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I believe that kind of what you're working off of the basic framework that you've expanded on is the, the is the framework from traction. And so, mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about just more the mechanics of what you do when you're working with with your clients? Sure. And do you, when you say mechanics, do you like to know about the actual day itself, the way it's set up, or just the 
Yeah, yeah, kind of dig a little deep. Okay. Yeah, dig a little deeper into like what what your principles are based upon, I guess. Yeah. And then how you. Okay, so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so principles are based on the fact that it's really hard to, um, like I was mentioning earlier, to have any sort of productive meeting unless you have a lot of information. And most business owners don't have that information. So the first step is getting. Uh, it's like getting your house in order, really. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, so we get all this key business data that is not necessarily fun for the owners, but I geek out about it, which is great. So I can help kind of pull it together and and, um, and analyze it that way and, and work with them on that. Um, so there's business data, but there's also, you know, intake about where, how things are in terms of how they're operating. How is the culture inside the business? Do they have core values? Do they have, so it's almost like the, I'm putting air quotes around the soft stuff. The soft stuff is super important because if, if, if you, if you aren't really grounded or connected to um, a vision that you're working towards and a team that um, wants to show up to work with you, and is bought into the thing that you're working for, then it's really hard to have any, to make any sort of plan that makes sense. So the soft stuff we work on first, when, when I, when we actually get in the room for the meeting, we make sure I already know kind of where they are with everything, but we cover, uh, we review it if they already have it in place. And if they don't have it in place, we get some, we get some solid stuff in place in terms of they don't have a mission statement. We work on that. If they don't have core values, we work on that. If they do have core values, we revisit them and see, are they outdated? Do they still feel fresh and like us? Um, so we, we go into all that. We talk about leadership and how to be good leaders, not just for each other in the practice, but how to lead ourselves and how to really show up well. And then we start, start to move into the numbers and look at the numbers. And so then with the numbers, we look at, okay, well, we've sort of established that this is where you want to be in five-ish years. So let's work backwards from that. And we kind of focus on the three, two, and one years, mostly on the one year. And think about where does that mean we need to be? Where do we need to end up? Where do, to be on track for your, your big ultimate goal? Where do we need to be in three years? And we do talk about revenue pretty heavily when we're talking about this. And some people don't love that. But the truth is, that is your, the soft stuff has to be in place. And as long as you're grounded and connected to your, your culture and your vision and, um, and the work that you do and why you're doing it, then the numbers should not be an issue. <laughs> the numbers should be like, we do need, if we want to be making, you know, $4 million in five years, that means, okay, what do we need to be making in three years to be on track for that? And it's not just about the money. But the money is sort of the measuring tool, the measuring stick that helps us identify what we're able to do. And so if you want to have more than one location or if you want to be able to give this huge chunk to this cause that you care about, then you need to make a certain amount of money. And so we actually do hone in on that, the dollar amounts that they want to be shooting for and we back down from there. So we figure out the revenue and then when we're looking at the, the one year, then we look at, okay, this revenue, how are we going to get there? What's our average, you know, um, revenue per case? What is our acquisition cost? What are the thing, what are the levers that we need to pull inside the business? Do we want a lot more clients or do we would just want to raise the average revenue per case? And what are some ways that we can do that 
And so we really kind of work out a strategic plan to help them get to where they want to be instead of just turning up the dial and cranking harder. Melissa, you said that there's sort of accountability baked in. And one of the problems that I have is we have these retreats or even our monthly firm meetings and everybody has all these great ideas, but they don't Mm -hmm. seem to get implemented, which is not surprising seeing as at least me, I'm a, I'm a two on follow through. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear how that accountability gets sort of implemented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which you just said two on follow through. That's every client takes the Colby. Can, it helps me really communicate with them and know how they work and help them set themselves up for success based on their Colby. So the accountability that we provide outside of the meetings is we have a meeting every month with the owner or the partners. And um, that is to just be on track, off track with the things that you said you were going to do, you were going to be responsible for. And that's usually less, um, in the beginning, this can be different, but usually that's less execution based and more, um, are you delegating the way that you said you were going to delegate? Are you, are you able to focus more on the business the way that you, you said you were going to schedule your time? Are you, so they kind of have to answer for becoming more of the CEO or having a little bit of space carved out for that um, so that their business actually keeps moving in the right direction and then they're leading that. The second accountability call we have every month is with sort of the right-hand person and that looks different in every firm. I've, I've learned that along the way but there's someone inside the firm who needs to be sort of have ownership over execution of all the things that said that we're going to get done during these retreats. And it doesn't mean they're the boss. It doesn't mean that, you know, they, they have this weird authority. It just means that it kind of, I get to, they are answer to us. If, if things aren't getting done, where's the accountability? What kind of things are you guys doing? Or do you need a weekly check-in with one another? So this person really does own sort of pushing being the force behind like, hey, let's get these things accomplished. We said we wanted to get accomplished because that should not be the owner's job. The owner's job should be focused on some of the bigger moving pieces. And there needs to be someone sort of ground level who's willing to cross off that action item list, right? And and see that through. So that's the second accountability call. And in the in the retreats, we talk about what kind of meetings are important to have so that they can stay on track and Good structure for meetings and um, and tracking. They have to stay up on their tracking because if we don't, the tracking portal is we call it the source of truth. If the numbers the numbers tell a story and if the numbers aren't in there, we can't see anything. So um, so we the person who's really in charge of execution oversees and makes sure that everything is up to date there as well. So that's the accountability that's baked in. And of course, I'm there if they need more than that. And most find that they don't it's enough in between you know once a month is enough of a touch to sort of push the reset button make sure they're staying on track with the things that they said they wanted to Melissa so you this is a really good segue because this is what I wanted to ask you about so people ask us all the time about okay what numbers should I be tracking and how do I track them you mentioned the portal Mm -hmm. so can you like what numbers should people be tracking and how do you track them so the numbers that there, this can vary from practice to practice, but the numbers that are sort of key and core and they're non-negotiable are we have to know what the revenue is for the business. We have to know how many new cases were taken on each month. We have to know how many cases were closed each month. 
and for with those three numbers, you can calculate um, well with the closed cases, you can calculate your average revenue per case really easy, like on how much that each case is worth. And so when you're tracking how much each case is worth, that looks very different. I, I have learned this from firm to firm. It depends on how they bill, right? And so what they are what I'm noticing is that typically firms are not great at staying on top of um, although it's in their software somewhere, it's not they can't they don't have visibility unless they go pull that specific data for that specific client. They don't they don't have an easy way to read what their average revenue per case is. They might have a hunch, they might know where they want it to be, but they don't really know where they are. And so um, those are some of the first three things. But when I say revenue for the business, it how it's coming in matters. So um, you know, if it's based on billable hours, then we create, we set up a system and calculations for based on that. If it's a flat fee, we do it that way. If it is a contingency, which is the easiest of them all, um, we, we can calculate it that way and it's easier in terms of input of data. Um, let's see, in terms of, we do track hours and not so, like I know that they track their own hours, but it's more to see, um, what levers they can pull and push against when we're talking strategy. Does the does the, the owner attorney need to take a step back? Are there so many billable hours in there that they can't be a good leader? So then we've got to figure out a transition and a smart transition that way. Um, so hours, however they track revenue, I make sure we have it in there for them so it makes sense for them. Also marketing, how much are they spending in marketing every month? Which You'd be amazed how many people do not know the answer to that. I I was I I thought that was an easier number to get to, but I'm finding it's not for people. They they don't really have that tracked specifically. Um, they can go back and look at their credit card statements and and sort of figure out um, what they've been spending every month. Um, but that is something that we track. We also track um, the number of new cases that are brought in each month, so that we can look at. Um, Generally speaking, an acquisition cost it is not the same thing as like, you know, you need to get really granular on the back end for the, the business does for if you're running Facebook ads, there's an acquisition cost there that you can look at. There's uh, for each sort of effort, but generally speaking, what is going out? What are you spending and what are you getting? Generally speaking, that's a number that we look at just to measure and sort of look at the health of the business. And there's a range that that is um, where we know it kind of makes sense based on their average revenue per case. <laughs> I hope I'm not getting too much in the weeds. I'm I'm just trying to be like give as much clarity. No, as that's can, great. We, yeah, we want the weeds. That's perfect. Okay. Yeah, I think you know it depends on if their average revenue per case is. Um, I know this is really really low, but like let's just say it's you know, 2,500 bucks, then it, it makes sense to me that, and, and I, we ask them, it's not just what I think, I, I care what the founders think. So it's like, okay, are you guys willing to spend $175 to get 2,500 on average? Does that sound like a good deal? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Then this is, we're in a good range. Maybe we can, um, and there's times where it's not just about whittling that average uh, or the acquisition cost down. 
it really is, this is where I'm talking about the levers, really strategically talking about, well, maybe let's make a push and be willing to spend more because we know we're working really hard to increase our revenue per case. And so if we are shooting for a $6,000 versus $2,500, I know these numbers are really low. I'm just kind of using examples. If we're shooting for $6,000, that's what we want to get to in the next six to 12 months, then okay, we need to be spending more because you, the, the quality is going to be very different. The, there's, there's just different things to look at. And I will say this, I'm not a marketing expert. I do not, I do not advertise myself as a marketing expert. Um, my, my husband is, ironically. So, I mean, he's kind of, he's come to a couple of retreats and been helpful where he needs to be helpful. And, and that's fantastic. But I do know, I know, and, and that's most of the clients I work with have someone they're working with from a marketing perspective, which is fantastic because that's not what I do. But I do know how to look at the health of things. And so that's what we focus on more than anything and have strategic conversations around. And, and they can, you know, pull in their, their um, specialists to um, sort of deepen that conversation. But um, so with marketing, those are, the, those are the things we look at. So I don't get granular, although I encourage them that they, they have to on their end. If they're spending, they need to figure out with each channel that they're spending money in what's happening in that channel. And so they have to track more granularly on the back end or have someone do it for them. Would you be willing to share a story about a client? Uh, obviously you don't have to name them or anything, but just talk about a success that they've had or how you've measured growth or improvement for firms that you've worked with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things we work backwards with all the math in the retreat to figure out, okay, if we want to, so this year we want to be on track for X amount of revenue, then what are the things that that's a good, that's a goal and that's awesome. But what are the sort of sub goals that need to happen in order to get us there? And, um, you know, if, if you're people who are members of Max Law, it seems like many of them are familiar with traction. And so there's, there's goals and then there's rocks. So goals are the sort of the, there's a finish line there's a point where you cross it and um it's usually just a number um, oftentimes but the rocks are the things what are the levers that you're going to pull that get you to the goal what are the things you're going to focus on in the business so the success that the the exciting success um that's easiest to see for clients and 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 us when, when we're walking through it with them in a retreat is that whatever revenue goal they had, there's certain other many goals that have to happen in order for that goal to, to come to fruition. So for example, we work backwards. We know what their average revenue per case is. So if they want to make a certain amount of revenue, they've got to have, they have to close a certain number of cases by the end of the year. If, if, and so um, we take a look at um, and set goals for, the number of cases that are, this is, um, I could, we could calculate on average how many cases they close in a month or in a quarter. And we know that, we know how many they need to take on in order to keep that train going, it, that sort of that machine going. And so we can set goals for how many new cases every month they need to have in order to be on track down the road to 
to close the number of cases they need to be closing. So anyway, we basically, something recently that's happened um, is that a client set a goal that felt lofty for the number of cases to um, uh, clients to hire them every month. And they are blowing it out of the water. And what's funny is that, you know, when, I, when we talk to them about it, it's like, they're so pumped, but they can't really understand or identify exactly why things seem to be working and clicking better, but it is. And um, so we talk about, um, there's, there's two partners and, and basically the partners have both said, it's almost like just getting your, your house in order and focusing on the things you've been focusing on, everything starts to click together. And so they're sort of seeing the, and reaping the benefits and the rewards and it's super exciting for them, their goals now are too small. So next time, next quarter, we're going to have to look at adjusting those to be a better fit um, because they are, they're doing so well. And it's hard to point to specifically the thing because there isn't like, um, you know, there isn't this, this uh, grand marketing thing that, that they've put into place. It's really just all these things coming together, paying attention, um, being a good steward of the business, really. Um, and everything starts to come together. It's just a little, not, it's never a cakewalk, right? It's never. But it starts to get a little easier and make a little more sense and be a lot clearer. And things tend to unfold. So that's an example of one is the, the cases that they're bringing on are, they're blowing their goal out of the water, which just means that what they're going to close is um, going to put them at more revenue than what they were hoping for, which is pretty. Jimmy, crazy. I don't know about I don't know about you, Jimmy, but this reminds me a lot of our conversation yesterday and the conversation in our guild last week about people putting these artificial caps on their goals too, though, where they they will set this goal way too low for some reason, whenever they could be achieving mm -hmm. so much more. So that it really is interesting. Jim and I were just talking about it yesterday. So tell me about this more. Mm -hmm. So, so the people that are thinking about using you for coaching or someone else, what is the most difficult thing on your end? What's the thing that you struggle with the most that mm -hmm. if the people, the people you were coaching were doing would make your life easier? I think a lot of people initially come, and I'm really, really cognizant of this, and so I try to um, be very selective with who we work with. People come, and I think they, I think generally speaking, people are willing to pay money for someone to fix their problem. And this is almost the opposite of that. Yes, a problem gets solved through our work, but there is, it's a pretty heavy commitment in terms of um, how the owner or partners needs to morph. And I think, I mean, I know you guys have done a lot of this work on your own, so you can probably speak to this, and, and, and you have on your podcast some, but it is not easy, and you can't just pay someone to make your business better. And so we do guide them, and we do a lot of the heavy lifting, and we point them in the right directions, and we facilitate amazing conversations and plans. But if they aren't the kind of person who is willing to be committed to this process and show up to, to actually execute on it, it's it's not going to work. And the reason I'm really, so when you say what's the hardest part, the hardest part for me is to vet, vet clients because I, I think that they, they ha I can hear this fire in their voice when they first talk to me. Um, 
And every once in a while, you will get one who just is not morphing or changing their habit the way that they need to in order to take on the important pieces that they need to take on in order to grow the business. And so I think I'm learning, I'm learning real quick <laughs> who, who is um, how to better vet clients. But I think, you know, it sounds fluffy, but you've got to be the kind of person who can own the kind of business that generates revenue and is really healthy. And if you stay in your, you know, your busy lawyering and you aren't willing to do the hard work to make a shift to start to work more on the business, then, and we help with that, we'll guide that, but only you can do it. Right. And so um, they don't, they don't see the results that they would hope to see. And the reason I'm trying to vet really well is because if, if our clients don't win, we don't win, right? Like the whole goal is to help them grow. And if, if they're staying stuck, then that's not good for them. It's a waste of money and it's not good for us. Um, so I think that's the hardest piece in terms of just um, learning. The, but the second thing I would say in terms of just time and focus, it is getting the tracking portal put together is um, one of my... <laughs> It's one of my greatest joys and one of the things that frustrates me the most because it's so, I, I think deeper about their business than they have ever thought about it. That's, so, that's how it feels. They don't know how to calculate the things that we need to get. They don't know the numbers that I need in order to get the calculations. And sometimes I don't, it depends on their business. So it's really, it's like a, uh, a puzzle. Every time I sit down to create their customized portal, it is a puzzle for me to um, sort of unlock. And once it's done, it's awesome and it's beautiful and it's smooth, but man, it is, it is probably the most challenging piece of actual work that, that I do. You know, I was just talking about the, the position and sort of morphing from operating one way into another. And that's the only way that you're going to see the success that you want to see. And that's the hardest pieces. That's what I try to instill in the clients. We have a manifesto that I love that really speaks to that. It's more about that than the numbers. It's, you know, we want to see what we're made of. We relentlessly move, remove distractions. We, you know, there, there's certain things that talk about how you need to shift who you are in order to become the kind of person you need to be in order to lead your business to where you want it to go. Do you guys, I know that you've talked some about just this, there is, there is like you had a struggle podcast a couple weeks ago that I loved. I loved listening to that. I think it was last week it dropped. And I would love to know from you guys, can, do you see what I'm saying in that regard specifically? Does that resonate at all? What I'm trying to convey there? So as far as getting your headspace right, Melissa, or what exactly do you mean? Well, like, you know, you can sit in a room and have plans that are awesome, but you can't keep operating the same way you've been operating if you want to take your business to a different level. And it's, there's subtle shifts that, are, that you've got to be willing to make, and it's never easy to sort of get out of one mode and put yourself more into another mode um, and stay committed to that process, right? Um, so do you, yeah. I don't know. Have you, I know you yeah. guys, you do quarterly meetings. So like, what is it like for you? And maybe now you're in a better groove, but especially when you started these, 
how did you have to shift and how did you think about that and how did you honor that? Well, I think that for us, um, a lot of that comes with the Colby and recognizing your strengths and weaknesses and not necessarily you being the one or me being the one to personally shift. I, I've had more success, it seems, by bringing in people who have skill sets outside of mine. Um, I certainly have had to stretch in different ways and to accept things that I have to work on. But I think that this is powerful is, is sort of finding the who, not the how, as Dean Jackson and Dan Sullivan would say. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Well, I, yep. I, and totally I, I think there's a, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it, Jimmy, but I think most of the people that listen to this podcast are solos or they're small firms and there's not, they don't have a big crew, you know? So I think we've got to look about, look at this a little bit differently. And I think that a big part of it is, is you, you're not going to make this gigantic mindset shift. I think you can try, but I think it's crucial. You're, you've got to do it incrementally. You've got to do it one thing at a time. I think what happens is, is people try to, I'm going to do all this other stuff over here because everyone else is doing it. And then they do none of it. And instead of doing one thing at a time and improving on that one thing and getting better, I think that that's what they should really, really be focusing on is that one little bit thing, a little thing. And then also daily tracking, tracking yourself and holding yourself accountable. I think if you talk to, I'd say, I, I dare to say 90% and above of, of highly successful people track their their successes every day i mean they're, they're tracking okay am i being accountable to myself and i think that that is a big part of it too the daily accountability and then those incremental shifts because jimmy you didn't get to where you are right now with, with with a big shift you know you you did this one thing at a time you filled butts and seats one person at a time and so that's that's a that's a big part of it is incrementally shifting over mm. I love that. There's a saying, there's a, there's a soccer coach in England that says, he's famous for saying, the we things matter. And I use that in my retreats because like, it just speaks to what you said. The consistent we things are, are, are what it sort of help make some of the biggest movement, not, not necessarily the big things where you can just wave a magic wand and there's a bunch of change. It really is the small things, which is just what you're speaking to. I think that was awesome. Really well said. Well, thank you. All right. So I do have a wrap. I've got court in 20 minutes, so I need to wrap things up. Uh, before okay. I do, I want to remind everyone, go to the Facebook group, get engaged there. There's a lot of activity. Um, also go to iTunes, or I guess it's not iTunes anymore, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, give us a five-star review. It makes a huge difference. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So my colleague Ashley's in here. Uh, we're getting ready for a case case review, and I asked her what my hacker tip of the week will be, and she said that it should be don't let the muggles let you down, but or get you down. I'm going to go with something a little bit different, and that is uh, I read this book, The Five A.M. Club by Raman Sharma. I really like it. I've been getting up at five o'clock most days, um, and that's been giving me a lot more time for headspace and thinking things through, but. Amani read the book and she doesn't like to get up that early. So she's come up with the five minute early club. She's allegedly going to appointments and meetings five minutes earlier than usual. And that's supposedly going to cut down her uh, stress levels. But all that being said, the real advice is if you're feeling like time is working against you, just get up a little bit earlier. It doesn't have to be 5 a.m., but just um, see if coming into the office at 8.30 instead of at 9 helps things out. Uh, it really, uh, for me, 
I am a morning person. It gets me going in a in a way that doesn't when I I sleep in later. Man, Jimmy, that's Love great that. advice. But let me say this: if you're getting off at nine, come on, come on, get there. <laughs> get a little bit earlier than that. Give me give me give me a break. Um, all right, Melissa, what's your tip or hack of the week? Um, mine is something that um. I, I encourage people to do inside of velocity work and I practice myself and it's um, simply put, reduce your input. We have, you know, we're, we have a lot of inputs and controlling those is really important, not just social media, which is sort of the easiest uh, stream of, of information that can come at us. But like I heard Jim talk recently about, um, or at some point I heard Jim talk about um, switching away from watching so much news like reducing your inputs, right? Or controlling your inputs because there's an inverse relationship with how much output you create. The more input you have, typically the less output you you um, create in the world. And so reducing your inputs, just containing them, right? Like I love that, Jim, you read every morning, for example, like you have time carved out where you deliberately um, sort of absorb input and that's awesome, but people do so really unconsciously, typically, and it affects their output. So I would say if, if, if that, that will probably speak to, if, if it doesn't speak to you, throw it out the window. But if it even remotely sounds interesting, pay attention to it and try to reduce your input so that your output is greater. That's great advice. Uh, Jason Stelt calls that channel capacity, and he's mm. he's written a book about this too. It's the same thing. It's, it's just controlling that cha- that channel capacity, and so that's yeah. that's really really good advice. Uh, I really really recommend it. All right, so my tip of the week is actually something I'm pretty excited about. I, I'm sure as I'm talking right now, some of you all are either in the car or at your desk, and you've got little sticky notes all over your desk. And like like in your like on your computer and on your desk and over maybe on your dashboard of your car. Well, their Post-it has a new. I don't know if it's a new app. It's a new, it's new to me. I was actually searching for something else and I found it. It's really cool. You can create Post-it notes on your phone just like a regular Post-it note. So when you add it, I, I'm just doing it right now while I'm on the phone. You can actually write on your phone like you're doing a um, like you're writing a regular Post-it note and just add it and then boom done. It's really cool an efficient way of doing it. You, you've got those post-it notes with you at all times, good reminders. Um, it's for those little bitty things that you need to, that you need to write down every single day. You can't, everyone's got their phone next to you um, all the time. And so it's an easy way just to keep a post-it note. I honestly don't know yet whether or not it's an efficient process, but we'll see. It's fun. You, it's, you, I can email those notes to myself. I can text them. So it's kind of fun too. So that's mine. Post-it. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. That it's been really, really fun to do this. So thank you. Thank you guys. You're always a blast. But I just have to say thanks for the community that you've created. I you I hope I hope you hear that as often as I think you probably do. I what you've created for attorneys is pretty incredible. It doesn't seem like there's anything else out there like it. So yeah, just awesome work. Well thank you. Very very cool. We have but you know the thing is the community created the community. It wasn't us, so that's what's cool yeah. about it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crowdsourced sort of a podcast and group. It's, it's really cool. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.